All right, here we go. So I spent last weekend trying to practice what I preach. I was gone last weekend sharing a moment with my son and trying to be a really, really good parent because I've learned something about being a parent. If you miss the moments of your kids growing up, they're gone. And you don't get to have them back. And I deeply appreciate belonging to a church and pastoring a church that wants my family to be an even bigger priority than this family. And last week we got to have a couple of moments together as a family that I was just particularly grateful to actually be physically present in, and I thank you for that. We've been doing a series called Relationships Alone Together, and this week we're going to focus on the relationship between parents and kids. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody in the room because of two facts. You either have children or you're somebody's child, okay? That, that, that's not news to you in the room, right? Okay, so we all fit in one of those two categories. And it seems like the relationship between parents and kids should just be so easy. I mean, the Bible says, children, obey your parents. There you go. It's so easy. It's so perfect, right? But it's not that easy, is it? The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That sounds good. And wouldn't it be nice if it was just that easy? The Bible says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Let me translate that for you. It means, dads, don't drive your kids nuts. All right? All the teenagers in the room just sat up and went, I heard it. I got a verse. Pastor Grant said so. All right? And it would be nice if it was just as simple as that, but it's not that easy. Let me just lay it out. Being a parent is not easy. Amen? Having parents is not easy. Amen? Yeah, there you go, right? We're in it tonight, all right? Well, this weekend we're going to learn from an ancient book a number of biblical principles that pertain to these vital relationships. We're going to come at the book of Esther from a very, very different angle than you may have ever heard it before. But let's dive in together. Let me give you some background on the book of Esther. It's one of only two books in the entire Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. The other one is the Song of Solomon, and I'm going to talk about that one next week, okay? This book, the book of Esther, is a historical book that's rich in wisdom. The book actually starts off with the king of Persia throwing a six-month party. Can you imagine that? Six months long. It starts off with a six-month party and then a marriage fight, okay? Let's be honest here. How many married people had a fight on your way to church, all right? Okay, you're not supposed to raise your hand, all right? All right? The king of Persia, in the midst of this six-month party, calls his wife, the queen of Persia, to come and he wants to parade her in front of all of his guys so they all can tell just how beautiful she is. She says, I am not coming to your six-month party, which causes the king of Persia a crisis. He's like, okay, if she can defy me when I tell her she's supposed to come in front of her, uh, in front of all these guys... If that word gets out to all of my friends' wives, this is not going to go well for any of the males anywhere inside of the kingdom. So the king actually decides to replace his wife. Gentlemen, don't get any ideas, all right? I'll refer you back to a couple weeks ago. Into that crazy environment, we meet a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai. And we begin to discover some parenting principles from the book of Esther. The Bible says this in Esther chapter 2, verse 7. Okay, here it comes. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. 
This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her mother and her father had died. I love this little slice of reality. An uncle takes in his orphan niece and he raises her as his own daughter. Mordecai willingly becomes a single dad. He chooses parenthood. He could have gone on with his own schedule and minded his own business, but no, he invites this tiny little girl into his life and she turns his life upside down. He adopts her. Just like God adopts us. A single dad, if you want to think of it that way. I think there's an application right there from those verses that parenting is a decision. It's a decision. Parenting is not a decision to be entered into lightly. I think parenting another human being is one of the greatest, most scary responsibilities that a human being can ever undertake. I'm not sure there's a greater responsibility than raising a kid because kids are scary. Has anybody else noticed that? I mean, they're just scary. I still remember when Braden and McKenna were born. Laurel had nine months to bond with them in utero. I did not have that opportunity. So when the babies arrived and they were handed to Laurel, it was the most natural thing that I've ever seen. Mom bonding with son and daughter. When they handed me the baby, it was another story completely. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that bundle. I don't have a license for this. Does anybody actually know who you're handing this baby to? And I don't think I'm the only guy who's ever felt that way. I mean, I was completely freaked out with the simple fact that babies don't come with instruction manuals. You know, people write books about them. Here's my opinion. All the books are wrong, okay? None of them fit your kid. So what am I trying to say? I think I'm trying to say this. Make the decision to become a parent wisely. One more thing. If you ever make the decision to become a parent, I think you need to understand that you're going to be making that decision every single day for the rest of your life. Make the decision to be a parent, but realize that that is a lifelong commitment. Here's a problem I see in the world today. I see too many parents with kids deciding not to be the parent. Instead, they're just trying to be an older kid who looks cool for all of their kids' friends. Just for the record, adults and parents in the room, at some point, you just stop being cool. I'm just saying it straight, okay? You stop being cool, and when you continue to try to look cool for your kids and their friends, you just look stupid. So stop, all right? I'll put it a different way. Your kids don't need a buddy. They need a parent, all right? Yeah, I said it, all right? I need to say it again. Your kids don't need a buddy, they need a parent. That's why God put you there. Mordecai makes, makes the decision. What else can we learn from this guy? The Bible says that Esther had a nice, fate, a nice face and a nice figure, okay? Her Persian name actually means dazzling beauty. Let me translate that for all the fathers in the room. Get a gun, okay? That's what it means. Get a gun, okay? Let me take another stab at it. Parenting is a call to protection. I've got a son and a daughter who I have been called by God to protect. And make no mistake, I will protect them with my life. My son's now a man. He can pretty much take care of himself, but I'm still watching from a distance. 
My daughter will always be my little girl. She's my princess. And I will go to any length, both legal and illegal, to protect my daughter. All right? And so we know. Parents, you're called to protect your children from the world, from bad thinking, bad people. And sometimes you need to protect them from themselves. Mordecai chooses to be a protective parent for Esther. And he finds himself in the middle of a political nightmare. You see, Esther grows up and she actually ends up marrying the king of Persia. Remember the guy who threw the six-month party and then replaced his wife? Esther's the one who comes and takes her place. The, the, The problem comes in with this. The king doesn't know that Esther is not actually Persian. Her background is actually Jewish. And that's going to become a problem a little later on. One day, Mordecai overhears a plot to kill the king. After his niece has married, the, has married the king, he exposes this plot to have him assassinated, and he becomes a hero. And that's when we meet a villain in the story by the name of Haman. Haman enters the story, and he begins a second plot to have the Jewish people that were living in that particular area killed. Mordecai finds out what Haman is up to. He knows that he's up to no good, and he begins to take a stand. If you don't do anything else from this week, and I hope you'll go home and open your Bible and say, I've got to read this story for myself. It's phenomenal. Haman begins to take a stand. In Esther chapter 3, the Bible says this, All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. What can we learn from this resistance that's coming from Mordecai, who's a godly man and refuses to bend his knee to a man who's got a plot going to try and wipe out his people? I think we can learn this. Godly parenting models biblical character. Parents, your children should be able to see godly character in you. Let me freak out every parent in the room. Your children are watching you. 24-7, and the old adage of do what I say, not what I do, is an affront, not only to them, but to the God that made them. When Braden was small, I was driving down the guide one day with him in his car seat in the back seat. A guy from a province that I will not name cut me off, and out of the back seat came this little tiny voice, you idiot. He learned it from his mom, okay, just so, no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to get in big trouble with that. Yes, I am. Parents, if your children are watching you all of the time, what type of character are you modeling for them? Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit from a couple of weeks ago? Love, joy, peace, and patience. This dad didn't do a very good job in that particular moment. Parents, what do your kids see you kneeling to? What idol do you fall in front of and worship? Where do you compromise? Where do you give them flimsy excuses? Parents, we need to understand this. We are never not an example. They're learning the good of us and the bad of us, and we need to teach well. The story continues in Esther, and Mordecai uncovers the plot to kill his and Esther's people. 
And he calls on his daughter, Esther, to make a bold stand and save her people. He actually invites Esther to come and stand beside him. Because remember, his character has said, I will not bow my knee to a man like Haman. My knee only bows to God. So he invites her to step up. He wants to see her biblical character. He wants to see her stand up and do the right thing. So they start this conversation going back and forth. Mordecai's trying to get get Esther to understand something. The king, at some point, is going to find out that you're Jewish, just like I am. And if they wipe out the Jews, your name's on the list too. You've got to do something, Esther. The Bible says this in Esther 4. When the words came to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love this parenting moment. Haman, or Mordecai says, Esther, you were born for this moment. You were uniquely created by God for this particular moment. I believe in you. God believes in you. Stand up. Stand up for what's right. Take a biblical conviction in the deepest part of your heart, no matter what it costs you. Mordecai's reinforcing with Esther, I believe in you. Parents, does your kid believe that you believe in them? And if so, when was the last time you told them? If your response was, my dad never told me that, let me say this. Stop using your parents' mistakes to justify yours. Boy, it got quiet. Stop using your parents' mistakes to justify yours. Amen all by myself, okay? I'll do it alone if nobody else will help me out. Mordecai's teaching this principle. That godly parenting calls out godly purpose and courage. We need to learn how to do this better, moms and dads. To call out the spiritual identity that God gave your children. You need to know this. Your sons are warriors of the Most High God. Your daughters are princesses. Not because you're a prince, dad, but because their heavenly father is a king. Speak their spiritual identity into them. Say it to them. You're loved by God, cherished by God, created for his purpose, capable of changing the world, full of God's potential in his spirit. We need to say this to our kids. Don't live up to our family name. Live up to your spiritual family's name. Parents, call your children to stand out, not fit in. That's what Mordecai is doing right here. Mordecai says, you were born... For such a time as this, I raised you so you could be God's tool, God's princess in this moment and save an entire nation. Listen to Esther's response. It says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Here was the deal. In this culture, at this time, if you went before the king of Persia without an invitation, uninvited, he killed you. That was the way he showed his power and his authority. 
you just knocked on the door and walked in, you were dead. That's the way it worked. Esther had to show up before the king to expose, or to expose the plot and save her people. She was risking her life to do the right thing. Where do you think she learned that from? I'll tell you where she learned it from. She learned it from a dad who refused to bend his knee to some villain who was trying to wipe out his family. She's like, I stood up. Now, Esther, now it's your turn. And she realizes she's putting her life on the line here. What's the point? I think the point is this. Godly parenting results in godly conviction. If you want your kids to be a person of godly conviction, you need to teach and model godly conviction. You need to be the one to stand up and say, everybody else may be doing it, but that's not okay. That's not okay for one of God's kids. We don't walk that way to that drum or to that rhythm because Jesus has a different drum and a different rhythm. And even if that means us going against the flow, we're willing to do that because we answer to him and not to anybody else. I love the fact that he just presses right in in this moment. We need to support our kids when they take a stand for godly values. We need to support our kids when they make godly choices. We need to understand that they are an incredible piece of hope in a broken world. I've been talking to the parents a lot. Let me talk to the kids for a second. Okay, guys, here's the tough part for you. The Bible's clear. It says, children, obey your parents. Let me translate the word obey for you in Greek and Hebrew. It means obey. That's what it means. A part of what your parents should be teaching you is how to live out your convictions. The Bible also says, honor your mother and father. Let me switch back to the parents for just a second. Mom and dad, make your kids' job easy in obeying Scripture and be honorable. I'm going to get some letters on this one. I know I am, okay? Be honorable. And then see whether or not you don't get back the very thing that I believe every parent would love, which is honor from the kids that you raise. Listen to the next piece of the story. Mordecai uncovers the plot to wipe out the Jews that Haman has masterminded. He calls on Esther to risk her life and to save her people. So she actually goes with great courage, and the king does the unthinkable. Instead of sentencing her to death, for interrupting him, he actually invites her to come in and plead her case. She goes with great courage. The king welcomes her. He's furious with Haman for his conspiracy. And he actually ends up stringing up Haman on a set of gallows that Haman had designed for the hero of our story, a guy named Mordecai. For a second time, Mordecai's a hero. And his parenting helps save an entire nation. Esther chapter 8, verse 15 says this, when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white and a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration for the Jews was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. What's the application here? It's that godly parenting influences nations. Parents, we can change the world through our kids. 
If they learn from us how to love Jesus, how to honor Jesus, how to worship Jesus, how to treat each other as a reflection of our relationship with Christ, then and only then is there a great hope for this country. Here's one more piece of scripture from Esther 10. I love this. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. And all of his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of who? Mordecai. I love this guy. Whom the king had promoted. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. He was an honorable father, a single dad, who consistently trained his daughter how to live and be a woman of godly character and wisdom, and in the end, he received honor, which is the final application, that godly parenting is worthy of high honor. If you have or had godly parents, thank God and thank them. Even though Ferndale can't see this, my mom and dad are sitting right over here. Godly parents who taught me Wisdom, character, hard stuff, godly lessons. Thank you. If you're a parent and you want honor down the road, you parent starting today. If you've made up mistakes and have given up your role as a parent, push the rewind button, go backwards and start again. Write the letter. Pick up the phone. Repent and ask forgiveness if you have to, but start today. They gave me back my stool. I'm happy. If you read scripture, you will find four biblical parenting themes over and over and over again. These were so important, I didn't put them in your outline because I want you to write them down. Ah, you put away your outlines, now you've got to pull them all back out, right? Okay? I want you to write down four words. The first word is caretaker. That's the first role that Scripture gives to parents. And you take the whole first section of your kid's life, and you watch over them, and you teach them. The Bible says that as parents, we're to write the truths of God on the doorposts of our homes. And we're to teach them as we go in and as we come out. We're to impress them on the hearts of our children. And we do that when we act in the role of being a caretaker. The second theme that comes through, you're not going to find this word in Scripture, but you'll understand it when I say it, is cop. Okay? The role of a police officer is to protect and to serve. And there are moments in the center part of your child's adolescent development where you need to be a cop. You need to drop the hammer. Put them in prison if they need to be put in prison. Incarcerate them to their room for a period of time so they can reflect and think things through. We've got way too many cowards in the world of parenting in this world and not enough cops who are strong enough to say, you crossed the line and I've got to teach you a lesson. Because I love you. 
because I care. Third word is coach. That's the role I'm in right now. I've had to move to the sidelines with Braden and McKenna. I get to call in plays and call in encouragement, but I don't get to do life with them every hour of every day like I used to. And it's hard. Because you just want to help them. You want to make a decision for them, but you can't because you got to transition at some point. You can't be a cop forever. you got to start being a coach and hope they can hear your whistle, you know? Here's the final word. It's consultant. That's the last stage and probably the hardest one to grab a hold of. When you're a consultant, you give wisdom when you're asked. All right? Your reaction kind of threw me there for a second. I mean, yeah, okay, well, all right. Remember that honor thing? Don't lose that right now, okay? You give advice when you've been asked to submit it. And you let them live their lives. And you pray harder than you've ever prayed in your life. Okay? So, here's where the issues show up in families. They show up when we never move from role to role. Okay? I have an issue with all of the moms in the room who have a 28-year-old son and you're still the caretaker. The Bible says that's not cool. And if you love him, you will take away his Star Wars sheets and his Spider-Man pajamas and kick him out of your basement and tell him to go and get a real job. Okay? That's love. All right? My address is Pastor Grant Fishbook, 4173 Guide Meridian. Go ahead and write me the letter, young man. I'm waiting for you. All right. Okay? Dad, some of you are cops and your kids are in their 40s. You need to retire your badge and become a godly consultant. Because if you've captured their heart, they'll always find a way home. Always. Parents, we need to know our role and ask God for the wisdom to know when to transition between. Because if we get stuck in one role and one role alone, your child's heart will begin to harden towards you and you'll never get to have any of the moments like Mordecai had. Some of you are here and you're estranged from your parents. Can I give you some really good news? God the Father is the best parent you could ever have. And even if you weren't raised in a godly home that focused on Jesus, you can make your home centered around the throne of Jesus Christ. You can start today. And we as a family will be here to cheer for you. Our single moms and single dads have a very precious place in the heart of Christ the King because we know how difficult it is. I know how difficult it is 
to parent with two of us. Those of you who do it alone, you're our heroes. And we pray for you. We love you. We'll encourage you every opportunity that we get because you have taken on no small task. When you're discouraged and you don't know where to turn next, just remember a man by the name of Mordecai who became a single dad by choice. And his daughter saved a nation. So can yours. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it rings true across centuries and gives us hope in the future. Father, I pray for any parents who would be here today and their son or their daughter has dismissed everything that was poured into their life and they're out living life on their own. And I pray for all of the parents of prodigals that they would know that God in heaven knows exactly how they feel, how they feel because he was our spiritual father when we were prodigals and living in our own sin. So Father, I pray that they would be encouraged by the word of God, by stories like Esther, stories like the prodigal son, I pray that they would know that wherever their son or daughter is tonight, that they would know that your hand is covering them and that you are right there with them, even in their parents' absence. Father, I pray for young people from our church who come to church alone, dreaming of a day when mom and dad would come with them, and I pray that you would strengthen these young heroes of the faith thank you that this could be a safe place for them in Bellingham and in Ferndale. And I pray they would know that they never sit alone because Jesus is always right there. Father, I thank you for godly parents. I thank you for their patience with me. Their unconditional love. And I thank you for the blessing that they've been in my life. And for all of my brothers and sisters who were graced with a godly home, we give you praise and glory as the author of that. So Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. May we leave here changed because of your word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And the parents and the children of parents all agreed together and said, Amen.